the sheer fucking hubris. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian Serbian non French speaker himself, the Peter. Yes, nuns have too much junk in the trunk. It's true. I'm not sure how it's relevant, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Quick update then on Cecil. He will be back in two weeks, but for now, it's just Peter and I tonight. And if you guys want to help out the show, maybe get a little something for yourself here in quarantine, prolapse something, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you want to look for any of the weirder stuff that's on the internet, you're stuck at home, right? You need a VPN. You need the digital condom that is NordVPN. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN and you'll be able to access Nord's site. What they'll do is they'll encode your data, they'll protect your data, they'll allow you to get around region locking. It's really, it's really a good idea to get something like Nord. And if you go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN, you'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.79 a month for the digital condom that is NordVPN. I highly recommend it. So tonight what I want to talk about, Peter, is we get franchises all over the place. You know, we almost have franchise fatigue at this point, I think. Now, maybe this is just grizzled people like you and I. Have you experienced where you've gotten to the point where when you hear about a new entry in a franchise or a new announcement, you just go, oh, why? Like like with Star Wars. Ever since Disney took over Star Wars, there was hope at first, right? Now, every time I hear about a new Star Wars announcement, I groan. Do you remember when when Star Wars and hearing about something new coming from Star Wars was something to be excited about? Not something to go, oh god, now what? Well, I remember kids being excited for Star Wars when I was a kid. I remember hearing about the idea that there was going to be this new franchise. This was like before Phantom Menace and, and the the prequel franchise. And everybody was like, oh, what's what are we going to see You know, happen to Luke? And we're going to see these new stories from like Han and Leia and all this stuff. And, and this was at some point in like the, the mid to early 90s. And then, you know, the prequels came out. They did their thing. And I feel like when even when they came out, there was still that that great period of all right, they came out, now we're going to have some years until the next one. And then it's like, okay, well, Disney bought up Star Wars. Let's see what's going on now. Now it's like a Disney Marvel thing. And then it just seemed like they were just churning out whatever they could churn out as quickly as they could. Like we were getting these like spin-off movies. We were getting Solo. We were getting, even though even though I did kind of like, I like, I dug uh, Rogue One for what it was, um, but still it's like, we, we were getting, like, a new Star Wars movie. It felt like every other month or something. And it, you just started to get Star Wars fatigue. And honestly, I don't, even, I don't even think Star Wars has done it the worst. I, I feel like it's Marvel that's really the biggest culprit of just oversaturating a franchise series to the point of where I just go, oh, my God, I don't care. I don't disagree with you. But I just mean the franchise fatigue in... Every time they announce a new Star Wars thing, not just me, but the entire internet collectively groans at this point. Yes. Go back to the 90s. They would announce, even if it was a new cartoon or a direct-to-video movie or a video game, people got excited. Ooh, new Star Wars. Now well, yeah, it's, oh, we, we haven't, God. We hadn't, seen, we hadn't seen Star Wars in such a long time, so it was like, oh, cool, something new, right? Like, it, it felt, uh, it, it actually felt, like, reinvigorating at that time. And at this point, it's like, oh, great, another Star Wars thing. But there's also the fact that with Star Wars, and we're not going to just talk about Star Wars here, but with that, 
under Disney, not just identity politics, they have pissed on their own fan base ever since Disney got this to the point where I think it's, oh God, now what are they going to rape from my childhood? Now what are they going to do to wreck Star Wars? Like every time, oh, it's a female-centric Star Wars. Okay, in theory, I have no problem with a female-centric Star Wars. But when you're pushing that, it's a female-centric Star Wars. Do you have a script? It's a female-centric Star Wars! Shouldn't you start with a good idea, a good plot, before you decide, hey, let's make this gender identity or political identity or something? They've made Star Wars into a political weapon to bludgeon you with, to the point where I think that's part of the reason everyone hates Star Wars nowadays. It's, oh my god, what message is going to be shoved into it this time? That is what it feels like, and I don't know if it's if it's in, if it's intentional or what. But you look at a lot of the corporate figures and a lot of these companies and, and what they're trying to do, and it's like we're finally making Star Wars for girls. We're finally it's going to be women centric, and it's like, do you guys not remember that like Princess Leia was a better shot with a blaster than both Han and Luke were? It's not just that. There's also something about when these don't feel like they're part of the same franchise. Now, that happens in a lot of movies. When a franchise, if it goes on long enough, in general, it will move. Like, if you look at Friday the 13th, and then you look at Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, they barely feel like they're in the same franchise anymore, because it kept growing and building on what had come before. And a lot of franchises do that, where I'm not saying you necessarily lose the plot, but you stray from what you initially were. And in some cases, you have this, you this is not even real. Like, to me, Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, I don't care that you have Star Trek in the title. You're not Star Trek. Discovery is, and I literally mean this because Alex Kurtzman called it this once, is Game of Thrones in space. It's not Star Trek. And Picard is the biggest, this is not Star Trek, Star Trek show I've ever seen in my life. Picard is, we want to not only be as far away from what Star Trek once stood for, we want to chastise you for even liking old Star Trek. Picard is a literal hate to what Star Trek once was, to the point where it isn't Star Trek. And it's not just that I don't like it, so I say it's not Star Trek. I'm saying this is not Star Trek. It's full of swearing, it's full of graphic violence, it's full of giant epic space battles, something Star Trek was never known for, it's it got sex in it. This is not Star Trek. How can you actively defend that Picard is Star Trek. Some people will say, well, it's grown, it's for a new audience, but it's not Star Trek anymore. Star Trek didn't have characters graphically being tortured like they were in a Diodato movie. Star Trek <laughs> didn't have characters that said f*** constantly. Because, I mean, no. okay, the worst Star Trek ever did was Bastard. You Klingon bastard, you killed my son. They never went harder than Bastard. Now, in Picard... The it's not fucking, Star Trek. What was that? What's the line that like the woman says to Picard? Like the sheer fucking hubris. Yeah. Hubris. Hubris and Picard do not go together. When you watch Picard and Discovery, you just realize these aren't Star Trek. They're no, called they're Star Trek. They might have a reference to something from a previous Star Trek episode, but this isn't Star Trek. Even the J.J. Abrams movies, they were very much more Star Wars with, with a oh, Star yeah. Trek sheen, but they still, you go, okay, they still kind of had the core of what Star Trek was. Picard is not Star Trek. What's, what's going on is I feel like the producers of these shows don't have any faith in people actually liking Star Trek for Star Trek. They're like, okay, well, Star Wars has been very popular over the years. You know, the J.J. Abrams with all the lens flares and stuff. And let's face it, those do, they do have Star Trek elements to them, but they feel a lot more Star Wars-y. It's a lot more space battles. It's a lot more frantic and quick cutting and lasers going off in space and stuff. So... I feel like that's kind of what definitely what Discovery was going for. It was it felt more like a Star Wars show. And then with the Picard show, they're like, OK, well, now we're really going to get all the all the fans into one place and and we're going to we're going to bring back Picard. But 
it's going to be a Star Wars show. It's going to have a, and it's not even Star Wars, but it's, it's just going to be really violent. It's and Game of Thrones. Have, it's more like Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's it's swearing and Picard no longer feels like Picard. And, and you got people swearing. And, and I'm really, the one thing I'm really tired about with new Star Wars, because I mean, not not Star, not new Star Wars, new Star Trek. The, the one thing that's um, always been fundamental to Star Trek, of course, has been the fact that it's always been very scientific. It's been about exploring. It's about you know finding all these new new civilizations. Now it's and new about planets. space battles. Now it's about. It's not even about space battles, but it's also about literally feeding you, spoon feeding you shit like science fucking rules. It, you literally have characters saying shit like Fuck yeah science, and it's like what the what? Like okay, Star Trek has been always very scientific and very much in in the tone of discovering this and going to that planet but it's like this really feels like some some bullshit pandering like having characters literally say things like Fuck yeah science really is is a starfleet officer really really going to say that in the, in the same universe as something like you know deep space 9 or next generation i'm sorry i don't think so well, some people would say, well, it's it's finally showing the dark side. That, oh, you oh. don't like it because it's showing the dark side of Star Trek. No, because that's what Deep We've Space Nine did. We've seen the dark side yeah. of, of Star Trek. What what the hell do you people think Wrath of Khan was? But also Deep Space Nine. Now, Deep Space Nine really got dark at times, but Deep Space Nine always still felt like Star Trek. Even Enterprise, which I yes. used to think was the worst thing that ever had the Star Trek name on it. Still, and then Discovery came out. Yeah. <laughs> But Enterprise still felt like Star Trek. It still had the ideals, maybe they were a little perverted, but it had the ideals of Star Trek. Then you got Alex Kurtzman coming in, and his whole thing is, and this is another thing that that you see over and over again when you try to keep a franchise fresh, and I use the word fresh in quotes, we have to shit on the past. We have to crap on what came before. You got that whole Last Jedi thing. Star Wars fans, you're stupid for being Star Wars fans, and that's what this movie is showing. Ghostbusters 2016, you're stupid for liking the old movie. All of these things, they feel like to be new and relevant, we have to destroy the past. How well, yeah, dare they, you like that they old even did one? That, they even did that with the RoboCop remake where they were like, this version is going to be more human than the original. There was article after article saying that shit. And was it more human? No. It was vacant of any fucking humanity whatsoever. It stunk. I think Terminator Dark Fate is a perfect example. The opening moments of the movie are not only killing John Connor and destroying everything the old movie stood for, but blowing him away by shooting him in the face in the opening minutes because your franchise is dead. This is our franchise now. And of course, the the movie H. Nobody... Nobody ate it up. Even people that weren't fans of the Terminator franchise didn't like it because, of course, it was incredibly spoon-fed. It was incredibly ham-fisted. People were like, oh, look, well, here we go. We're going to open our movie by shooting one of the most iconic characters ever in the face and diminishing the effects of, of one of the greatest movies ever made, which, you know what, objectively... T2 really is technically one of the best films ever made. It still stands it still stands the test of time. It's still a lot of people's favorite Terminator film. And then you have these people that are making, you know, Genesis and Dark Fate and all these all these fuckers that are are setting out. Even Terminator 3, even the third Rise of the Machines film. Each and every Terminator sequel has not set out to make a good Terminator film. They have been setting out to make a film better than T2. If you want to talk about sheer hubris going back to like star trek picard that's what that is the the sheer hubris that you think you're gonna outdo t2 like go sit back down on the bench like you're you're not gonna do it buddy well i want to go back to this picard is not star trek thing because one of the things that people love to argue with me about and they're entitled to their own opinion i'm not saying they are not i'm saying they're wrong but they are entitled to their own opinion on this they say it is star trek it references the old episodes it's this now here's here's an example i'm going to give how something can be the name but not anything that it stood for back in the 1990s Mel Gibson, for years, was trying to make an adaptation of Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. 
Mm-hmm. Now remember, Ray Bradbury, he never had gore in any of his stories. Very rarely even blood. He never had swearing anything harder than bastard. He never had sex in his stories. His stories are arguably clean, yet they're also scary and creepy. Because that's what a, yes. good, a good writer doesn't have to fall back on gore. And I think that's the difference between Ray Bradbury and Alex Kurtzman. Alex Kurtzman's like, well, we gotta shock him. That means let's graphically pull a character's eyeball out and then we'll cut the eye stalk off all on camera because that's shocking, right? Bradbury would be able to do that classy and without gore. Mel Gibson's production company got the rights to Fahrenheit 451. The movie obviously never got made. Ray Bradbury was appalled when he read the script. Not only did it have graphic gore, graphic sex scenes, multiple torture scenes, but over 400 uses of fuck. My and, God. and he said Mel Gibson fundamentally does not understand Ray Bradbury. He Clearly doesn't, he, he could not understand what made Fahrenheit 451 work. And Bradbury literally said it might be called Fahrenheit 451. He might have the rights to Fahrenheit 451, but, you know, assuming the movie gets made, this is not Fahrenheit 451. And that's what Picard is, and Discovery to a lesser extent, to Star Trek. They might have the name, they might have the references, they might have the rights, but they're not Star Trek. It's not what it's uh, not what it fundamentally is at all, particularly if you compare it to Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and, and basically the the shows that were rooted in what the show is apparently about. And now there is this theory I've been hearing that Patrick Stewart himself was never apparently a fan of of the Picard from Next Generation. Like, he supposedly always wanted him to be a darker, more action-oriented character, which is why he's the way he is in the Next Generation movies. Now, I don't know how true that is, but I I can almost believe it with how how completely far withdrawn the Picard and the Picard show is from the Picard from, you know, Next Generation and is a lot more like the action-driven, edgy action-oriented version of Picard that we saw, you know, in movies like First Contact and and Generations and and stuff like that, where Picard really didn't feel like Picard. He felt like this old dude that was trying to be an action hero. But there's also the aspect of why do you have to destroy what came before? That You've got this thing. It's not, you know, you'll get a new producer that comes in, like an Alex Kurtzman, and he goes, well, this isn't really my thing unless I get rid of everything that came before. Now it's mine. It's my vision. It's my version of this. Go back and look at Star Trek The Next Generation. When that first came on the air in 1987, did that crap all over Star Trek, classic Trek? Did it say, oh, this was terrible and you're stupid? No, it embraced it and it said we are a new version of what you used to watch and yes, they embraced this the, it this was the future version of the original show this is like updated starfleet like this is what's happened over the years after kurt's reign after kirk being you know in charge of the enterprise now we got this guy picard and a lot of the ideals are still being withheld the only thing that's different really are the starfleet uniforms and the ship has been updated in a sense where it's like, it's not meant to shit on the original Enterprise. It's like, this is like, you know, what, what, what is it? Like hundreds of years in, into the future, into Starfleet, like that they've updated all this stuff. They got new ships. They got new technology. We have these new species that are showing up. It, it is literally the next generation. That's the whole point of the next generation of Star Trek is that it's taking and following up with the original show and giving us new stuff while still sticking with the fundamental roots of what the original show was about. And I think that's the difference between Discovery and Picard under Alex Kurtzman's reign to what happened under Berman and Braga. Like I said, look at Next Generation. That was saying, we know you love this, and that's why we're doing this. Whereas Kurtzman's saying, I know you love this, and I'm going to show you why you're a goddamn idiot for loving it. Well, yeah, because you look at Discovery, which is meant to be like a prequel, and they're essentially rewriting history by making Star Trek completely different. And then we're doing the Picard show, which clearly is based more on the past of what Discovery was and all the violent space battles and all this fucking crap that they're doing. It's it's to me, it's very evident and very indicative of somebody who wants to erase history, create his own present, because... We've got the present of Picard that is following up with the past and rewritten history of what Discovery is. And it's it's some real shameless, shady shit. 
But you also have that with other, even continuing franchises by the same creators. Because in the case of Star Trek, you've got Alex Kurtzman is this arrogant prick that's coming in and saying, I hate everything that came before. What about when you have something like The X-Files? Okay, The X-Files went off the air and I think it was 2002. And then they came back a year or two ago by the same creators, a lot of the same writing team, same producers... And the modern X-Files, it didn't feel like the X-Files anymore. No, I get it. Ten or more years had passed. Things had to change. I'm not saying it should have felt like an exact 90s version of the X-Files. This didn't feel like the X-Files anymore. Honestly, the the two seasons when it came back, they felt more like one of the X-Files ripoffs from the 90s than they felt like the actual X-Files. And I don't know, how does that happen? It's just time time going by and actors age, writers age, directors age. I do think some of the some of the newer X-Files stuff in my opinion is more faithful to a lot of the earlier episodes and earlier incarnations of X-Files at least comparatively to the Star Trek and Star Wars stuff, but you can still see a lot of these differences and a lot of these like different creative choices and it's not so much the idea of burying the past in this case, but it definitely does feel to me like you guys didn't need to do this. This wasn't necessary. This didn't need to make like a comeback. This doesn't feel like it has the the level of uh, like, I, don't, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't judge this, but at least to me, it didn't feel like it had the, the level of heart that it should have. You got the same thing with Twin Peaks, although I think there's a different reason. When Twin Peaks came back and everyone's going to say, oh, you just hate all these new versions. No, I, I mean, I do hate the new Twin Peaks, but I wanted to love it. I went into the new Twin Peaks just I, I was like, oh, my God, Twin Peaks is back. This is going to be fantastic. Lynch is writing and directing every episode. And well, I, there I, was an excitement when that came out. There was a real excitement in the air because as you said like lynch came back to like write and direct this shit. so it's like you know a lot of people were amped up for it and i wanted to like it so much and i gave it almost the whole season even though i wa- by about episode three i was like i have a really bad feeling about this but i'm like okay maybe you can pull <laughs> this out honestly only the second to last episode actually felt like twin peaks again Probably because mm. that was the only episode where they actually went back to Twin Peaks. They wow. were back in the town. They were back in the sheriff's office. It was the only episode that felt like Twin Peaks. In all honesty, the bulk of Twin Peaks The Return felt like a Twin Peaks ripoff that would have come out at the same time. I think the reason for this one, though, is it's hard to ascribe motivation to someone like David Lynch. So maybe I'm hitting it on the head. Maybe I'm way off. But for (laughs) years, everyone was like, oh, redo Twin Peaks. We want Twin Peaks back. I think he finally went, you want Twin Peaks back, huh? You really want Twin Peaks back? All right, I'll give you Twin Peaks, you little bastards. That's what I kind of feel like this was, because this (laughs) version of Twin Peaks went out of its way to crap on everything everyone loved from the original. Oh, you loved Dale Cooper and all of his his witty dialogue? Well, now he's basically a mute and he's a retard. Oh, you you loved this aspect of it? You you, you loved all of the wacky characters in, in Twin Peaks? Well, now we're spending most of the time in New York. And it just, it felt like, like he was literally making anti-Twin Peaks because he was sick of being asked to make Twin Peaks again. Well, that's the thing with Lynch is he's not really the sequel guy. He just wants to move on to the next project and do his next, the next thing that's in his mind. So I can absolutely, like, I don't know if that's actually true that he made it out of resentment, but I can see him doing that. Even characters like Diane. Now, I know she she was a tulpa and all that, and we didn't really see real Diane. But the whole thing of original Twin Peaks was Diane was this larger-than-life, off-screen character that we never saw. So what's the first thing we see in new Twin Peaks? Here's Diane, and you get to see her, and you get to find out she's kind of a bitch. (laughs) Twin Peaks, the return, felt like Lynch was like, oh, I'm going to give you what you want, all right. You want it? How'd you like that? Oh, my God. It, it did, in a lot of ways, feel like a, a big middle finger from him. And I feel like I feel like that's probably what it was. I mean, and this isn't something doesn't happen in uh, in Hollywood, in the entertainment industry at large anyway. I mean, this is literally what Sam Raimi did with with Spider-Man three. The studios were telling him, you got to put this in here. You got to shoehorn Venom in. He's like, oh, you want Venom? OK. All right. I'll give you Venom. I'll get the guy from that 70s show. That film, Spider-Man 3, was a steaming dump on not only the audience, 
but on the on the studio that was forcing him to do shit that he didn't want to do. Like he he wanted to do Vulture. He wanted to have a little little tidbits of other villains, like like have uh, Bruce Campbell play Mysterio in like a little vignette where Spider Man's put putting away all these different villains. But the studio was like focus groups and stuff have told us that everyone really wants to see Venom, so we should put Venom in this movie, and the new Goblin, and we should also do Sandman. Okay, oh, oh, so you want all that. All right, okay, here you go. And we got f***ing Topher Grace's Venom. Like, immortalized this the, 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 the most awful casting choice that you possibly could, and I feel like it was on purpose from Raimi himself, because he was just sick to shit of what the studio was, like, forcing on him. I can absolutely see Lynch doing the same thing with Twin Peaks. You do get that sometimes, like uh, J. Michael Straczynski on Crusade. TNT kept telling him on Crusade, we need more sex in this, we need more aliens, you know, maybe try alien, you know, alien sex, we need to sexy this up. So he's like, all right, you want aliens, you want sex, huh? All right, we can do this. So they had a giant alien have sex with the ship. Hey, you wanted more sex? You wanted more aliens? I gave it to you. They were like, oh my God, that's not what we meant. <laughs> This but, is why studios need to, and studios and not only studios, but producers need to fucking know to keep their fingers in their own business and not meddling with the show. Because sometimes the creator is going to decide, oh, you want that, do you? Well, I'm going to get weird with it. Now, this one, I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm going to say it's not for me. Times change, styles change. And that would be Mystery Science Theater 3000. I grew up watching the Comedy Channel years, through the Comedy Central years, through sci-fi. I was fine with Mike taking over from Joel into the sci-fi years, all that. I'm well, a mystery science. With, uh, like I started with Mike, Mike oh, Nelson. You... That was that was who was on TV when I started watching it. Now you've got Jonah and the Return, and I don't. It's not like I'm like, oh god, another new guy or a Jonah. It's no, it sucks. It's it, just, it, just... it does suck because they changed the fundamental core of it. And that's the big problem here. One of the things I cannot stand about modern mystery science theater is the rapid fire joke, 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 They never let the movie breathe. There's not a second somebody's not making a smart-ass quip. Yes. Go back and look at the old episodes. They'd let the movie breathe to set up the joke. Now it's like that sort of family guy sort of thing where if we don't have a gag every three seconds, we're going to lose the audience. Or... They're like, we're just not confident enough in the jokes. If we throw a joke out a second, one of them's going to stick. And no, I don't really know what bad. it is, but I cannot watch this just this rapid fire. That's not mystery science theater to me, man. Which is weird to me because apparently some of the writers on the show are from a comedy troupe here in Vancouver called the Gentleman Hecklers, which they're like a live mystery science theater thing operating out of the Rio Theater here. And a lot of those shows are actually great. Like they've they've done like your they've done Hard Ticket to Hawaii, things like that. And and they're actually they're quite good. They're funny dudes they've they've done one picare simone's slugs but then watching their writing come to life in this new mystery science theater and as you said just like no real beats for the jokes like it's just every second they're they're rapid firing as many off as as they can and a lot of them aren't even really that funny like at all like i've, I've tried to watch a couple of the episodes and i i don't even it barely got barely got a chuckle out of me i really don't think that it's even nearly as as good as a product as it was comparatively to the Mike years and to the Joel years or even Riff Tracks. The Riff Tracks stuff is way better than the new Mystery Science Theater stuff. Like I would much rather go listen to Mike and, and some of the old Mystery Science Theater boys or whoever else they get as like a comedian to riff some of their stuff. Like those are, are really that's it's some great shit. Like they've done, you know, Miami Connection and Troll Two and The Room and all this stuff. And and they've been really solid riffs. And and then you compare that to this new Mystery Science Theater of this just like rapid fire joke routine and it's it gets really tiresome with within like the first five to ten minutes of the movie, like already. But then the other thing is, now this could just be tastes, but I always liked the riffing in the theater and I rarely got into the the host segments. I always thought they were usually the worst parts of the episodes. And Mm. now that they don't have a time slot that they have to fit into anymore, all the stuff with Jonah and the bots and Patton Oswalt and Felicia Day, they just go on forever. It's vanity. It's It's like, okay, we're not watching the show 
show to see how Jonah gets out of this wacky situation. We're watching them to riff a movie. At least I am. I don't care about the host segments, especially in the new in the new era, I really do not care about the host segments whatsoever. There's something very vanity-driven about it because, again, like look at the people we're using here. We're using an established comedian, Patton Oswalt, and and who's the uh, which one? Who's the, like the redhead chick? What's her Felicia name again? Day. Oh, good fucking lord! Like the reason why she's on camera is because she's like pretty much dubbed herself as like poster girl of geek geekdom or whatever whereas like if you looked at joel and mike and and like the robots and stuff back back in those days it's like like who were they really they were they were kind of just like writers they were these dudes that were you know they they had their screen time for those little segments and you know they were cracking off their little jokes and they had these you know storylines of you know how are they going to get out of this one and then we go back to the movie and now it literally just feels like comedians and internet personalities that are trying to like one up each other and trying to like out funny the other and trying to get more screen time than the other. And it's like, it just feels pathetic. I can't get into it. Maybe it's just my tastes have changed, but I tried. I wanted to like this. I was excited. Oh, Mystery Science Theater's coming back. Yay. But then there's also something else. Now, when MST3K came back, I saw article after article after article after article about how this is the greatest, most innovative TV show of all time, Mystery Science Theater. And I started scratching my head going, huh? It's like, I'm a fan. Don't get me wrong. Mystery Science Theater is the greatest TV show that ever existed. I saw articles about how it reinvented television. How? First of all, if you're saying because it had that meta aspect of riffing on the movie, first of all, they weren't the first to do that. I think the first, at least I can identify, would be Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Cheech and Chong, and Gilda Radner in It Came From Hollywood, where they did that, which Joel even cites as one of his influences. So, I just... Mystery Science Theater being the most innovative thing I've that's ever happened, I don't get that. And I am a fan. It's, it's not ridiculous. the most innovative thing that ever happened. And if you think it is, you need to get out more. You need to go out and see more things. But then there's also something about when a franchise goes on too long, and this is something we've been seeing for a long time. Picard, on a different level, is sort of symptomatic of this. Just let these actors go. Because, like, you saw, okay, Rambo 4, I didn't like it, but a lot of people did, and it kind of works as a movie. Rambo Last Blood is just let this man retire. And you've you've got you know Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Now they're doing another Indiana Jones. Oh, you've got no. Mark Hamill being brought back for the Star Wars movies and Harrison Ford. This is going to kind of contradict what I said earlier. You have to let the past go sometimes. Okay, you didn't need Rambo Five. You didn't need a new Captain Picard series. You don't need another Indiana Jones movie. You don't need these things. Like, we've got that Ghostbusters Afterlife, which, due to the coronavirus thing, who knows when that's coming out. It's supposed to have, obviously, Harold Ramis is dead, and, you know, it's his grandchildren and grandchildren in the but you you've got Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson and Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver and that that are all gonna be reprising their roles. I'm hoping that the fact that none of them appear in the trailer at all and they don't seem to have any impact on the plot that's on the trailer, I hope they only appear as a passing the torch to the next generation. Because Which is what everybody was uh hoping that Ghostbusters remake was going to be. Exactly. That's, well, that's what it was supposed to be at one point, when Harold yes. Ramis was still alive. Let these old actors go. We don't need another one of these movies. And I'm not arguing, oh, well, then you should just reboot it. I'm saying you just don't need it. You don't need you don't need Rambo Last Blood. That movie, whether you liked it or not, and I thought it was garbage, didn't need to happen. Rambo had a fine send-off in Rambo 4. That was a good finale. Why do you keep I do agree bringing... with that. Him him coming him coming home like whether whether people liked the fourth one or not. And I did. I enjoyed Last Blood for what it was, but deep down I do kind of still wish the fourth one was the last one because that really was a nice send-off for the character. You also have a thing where you're both showing reverence for the past and your arrogance towards what you're doing now, and that would be like the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. I liked Twilight Zone. I liked Twilight Zone 1985. The 2002 Twilight Zone, it wasn't terrible, and it still did feel like Twilight Zone. And then you have the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, which doesn't feel like Twilight Zone. You have to look at it like this. 
Every episode is SJW the hour. Every episode is about racism and sexism. And remember, Rod Serling was able to work all that stuff into old Twilight Zone. I know that was all there. Rod Serling had a subtlety to it. Jordan Peele is hitting you over the head with a sledgehammer. There's a different vibe here. And then in the finale, at least the season one finale, you literally have a CGI deepfake of Rod Serling telling Jordan Peele that he is honoring Rod Serling's legacy and that he is the new Rod Serling. The sheer f***ing hubris. No, I just think it's absolutely shameless to have Rod Serling show up as a deepfake. Like, that's really, really embarrassing. It also shows just the sheer ego of someone like Jordan Peele. People say I'm the next Rod Serling, so I'm the next Rod Serling. No, you aren't. And, and that's not to say that a Twilight Zone reboot couldn't work. Worked in 1985, worked in 2002. It's just the, the arrogance of the new one actually alienated not just myself, but a lot of people from that new Twilight Zone, from the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. But then you also have this thing. Now, I'm 50-50 on this next thing. When you you want to reboot something for a new generation, that, that's what you always heard about the RoboCop remake. You guys had your RoboCop. This is RoboCop for a new generation. Now, in theory, that is not a bad idea. That's literally what Star Trek The Next Generation was. It was, we're bringing Star Trek into the 80s. So I have no problem with that on a theoretical level. And in some cases, you can do that properly. Riri Williams. Riri Williams is not Iron Man. She's wearing the Iron Man armor, but nowadays you would have, in a lot of cases, you'll have, well, Tony Stark is now, his brain is in like a, a, a black female. You have Riri Williams, who I don't particularly like as a character, who's taking over the mantle of Iron Man, which, you know, was done with James Rhodes back in the 80s. So that's fine. But then what about something like Miles Morales as Spider-Man? Now, they didn't make Peter Parker bisexual, biracial Mexican character, but... No, they just introduced a, a new Spider-Man, a new, like, character. Right. So when, when is that the right thing to do? Because, like, like, they're still babbling about this Escape from New York remake where it's going to be a gay black woman playing Snake Plissken. And you just say, <laughs> why not just make a new character? Well, really, like, why do we have to have these um, these remakes where we're not only remaking the story, but we're remaking the character as well with, like, the same story that happened, what, 30, 40 years ago? Like, why not at this point just make a new adaptation or a sequel or just make something entirely new altogether? Like, are you that out of ideas? I'm not sure what to think of the whole Snake Plissken thing, because for one, it's obvious gender politics. Well, there wasn't a lot enough positive black characters and woman characters. Now it's a black, gay, female character, but she's gonna be Snake Plissken. I remember the first rumors for the Escape from New York remake was they were, they were gonna have uh, the chick from Underworld, or whatever her name was. Kate Beckinsale? Yes, like she was going to be Snake Plissken, and then that went under. So honestly, I, I don't think we're ever going to actually see an Escape from New York remake because I, I feel like scripts have just been passed around for it for like 20 years now. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't either, but then let's talk about Michael Mann for a moment. Do you think that his Miami Vice movie was sort of like like my theory of what David Lynch did with, oh, you want Miami Vice back? I'll give you Miami Vice back. Because that Miami Vice movie was literally made to crap on everything the Miami Vice TV show and its fans loved. And I don't understand how the same creator could do that. That Miami Vice movie lacked any style, any charisma, any grace. It seemed like it was a hate fuck to the Miami Vice TV show. What that movie was, to me, was a, a great telling what Michael Mann is as a creator, as a filmmaker, as a director in general. And it's that he goes for what's happening at the time. Like, what happened with the original Miami Vice and a lot of his earlier films, like uh, Manhunter and Thief, or even, uh, even Heat, these were things that were indicative of their times. Like, Miami Vice is super 80s, 
because it was happening in the 80s and Michael Mann was using the color and the music and he did it very well. He did it really masterfully. But then if you look at a lot of his later films, if you look at movies like Collateral, if you look at the new Miami Vice, they're using recent music of that time period. They're using camera footage, like camera styles of that time period, the more handheld digital look. So I honestly, in this case, don't think it was Michael Mann giving a middle finger to the Miami Vice fans. I think it was him making a Miami Vice in in the period that it took place in, and it just really isn't as appealing in the 2000s as it was in the 80s. Well, they're talking about a Miami Vice remake for years now, and apparently it is still moving forward. Vin Diesel's going to produce it. Whether he's an actor in it or not is debatable, but he is adamant it is a sequel to the old series. It will keep continuity, and when possible, he wants some guest stars. So it's a Miami Vice. It's not a reboot so much as a return. It's doomed from the start. It's in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If he makes it like the old Miami Vice with the popping colors, no earth tones, all, you know, the very bright lighting, all that kind of thing, it's going to be accused of being nothing more than an aged throwback to the 80s. Now, if he updates it like the movie and makes it more like the shield or justified, he's going to be accused of betraying everything Miami Vice stood for. This Miami Vice reboot is damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I say just don't. I'd say, yeah, just don't do it. Because clearly the the last time they tried just wasn't good. And I was excited about the Michael Mann movie. I really was, man. I, I, because I loved Miami Vice. I'm like, well, Michael Mann is returning. Then I saw the first trailer and went, oh, no. Oh, God, yeah. It's like, Jesus, we got like Linkin Park music and Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx. And neither of them look right for Crockett and Tubbs. The, the tone of the movie, the color palette, like everything felt wrong. Like with RoboCop. Now, they've been talking for years and years about making RoboCop 4 that's going to ignore the remake and it's going to be a sequel to 3. And Or so sometimes they're saying, well, it's going to ignore 2 and 3 and it's going to be a sequel to the first movie only, which they already did with the Prime Directives miniseries, which knocked 2 and 3 out of continuity. Okay, leaving the continuity cluster of this aside, what would a modern RoboCop movie look like that would actually make fans happy? If they made RoboCop 4, it's again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you make it very 80s or very early 90s, like RoboCop 2 and 3 were, you're going to be accused of just pillaging the past. But if you make it like the RoboCop remake, you're going to be accused of pissing on everything that came before. Again, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. That's one of the problems I have with reboots and remakes is if you stay true to the original, then you're not then there's no point to a remake. But if you try to change things up, then there's no point to a remake. Just make your own damn original property then. Unless you're doing something like, you know, Carpenter's Thing or Cronenberg's Fly, where you still kind of keep the tone of what was going on, but you do sort of do your own thing with it at the same time. And I think with the RoboCop thing, that's, I don't think that's something we're ever actually going to see. Like they've they've had this idea of what they were going to do with it. They were going to do the original script for the second movie that Ed Neumeier wrote, where it's like corporate RoboCop, where it was like, it's basically it's stuff that was used in the original, in the nineties series where Robo gets shot with that, you know, high powered gun and he gets put offline for a while. But in this script, like he gets like, blown apart and they can't afford to put him back together so he gets like put into storage then they decide to put him back online like many many years later into the future of like delta city and he's he's put back back online as as a as a robotic officer of the law they um, kind with- of did that in the in the prime directive series he they no longer made most of the parts for him so he was walking around with like a limp because one of his knee joints couldn't be replaced he had battle damage all over him so some of that was integrated into the first episode dark justice of the prime directives mini a bit a bit yeah and into the 90s series as well somewhat because because you had I believe Ed Newmeyer worked on worked on both didn't he pilot episode of the TV series yes. they said was a rewritten version of his original RoboCop two script and yes. you can kind of see parts of it in there's that. some of it there it's it's uh, it's that moment where Pugface Morgan shoots him with the uh, the Cobra assault cannon and it puts him offline like that's that's basically based on like the first five minutes of the original RoboCop two script but very very loosely. 
what would a modern RoboCop movie have to be? Let's say it's set in the same continuity as the original three. You obviously couldn't have Peter Weller anymore, so you'd have to have a new actor, so that's a detriment right there. The costume would have to be redesigned, and you know nowadays it would be CG. Most of the yeah. RoboCop costume would be a CG creation with somebody wearing a mocap suit. You, We both know that. What would a modern RoboCop movie have to be? Because... I don't think it could be anything. There are times, just leave it alone. It's just not something you can do nowadays. I really don't think they can recapture the magic of... Let's face it, the first movie is the best RoboCop-related thing. Like, two two was fine. I enjoyed it. But I can see objectively what was wrong with it. I can see what was wrong with three. I can see what was wrong with the 90s TV show and Prime Directives in that God, awful remake that came out with Joel Kinnaman playing him, which he was just an awful choice for the role. I I just don't think RoboCop works anymore in the way that it worked in the first film, which really, if you think about it, really should have just been a standalone. Like, it tied itself up nicely at the end. He finds his humanity. It had great political satire, great violence. Everything about the first movie is, is to me, it's, it's a perfect film. I really don't see the point of trying to recapture that magic and rekindle that flame. You're not gonna. Like, they, they've been trying to for, what, 40 years now and, and just dealing in nothing but failure. It's the same thing with, I, I, I know they've been talking about a Toxic Avenger remake with, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger producing, he's not going to play Toxie, but Arnold Schwarzenegger loves it and he wants to produce it. They've been talking about a Phantasm remake and, and on and on and on and on and on and you go, why? But look at, a perfect example is the Evil Dead remake. This could have been just called generic horror movie in a cabin. It didn't have <laughs> enough of Evil Dead to be part of that franchise and it wasn't far enough to be its own thing. So it hovers in this limbo of nothing. That's what most franchises end up with when they go on too long. That's the theme of this episode. At what point should you just say, enough is enough? I think you should say enough is enough when there are three, (laughs) there have already been three RoboCop films. The only truly objectively great one is the first one. You don't need to do a miniseries. You don't need to do a show. You don't need to do a remake. You don't need to try to do a re-sequel of it. Leave the past where it is. The past that it was made in, it, it worked with it great. The first film was awesome. And this is what happens with so many different franchises. You know, they're, they're trying to reinvigorate Ghostbusters and they're trying to reinvigorate all this other stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's just that one movie is what worked. And I think you just need to move on and move on to another project. You, you, you get these things like the Halloween 2018, you know, Halloween. And you ask yourself, so how many reboot thingies are in here? Because, okay, Halloween 2 then happened, then you had the Rob Zombie stuff, but then you had Halloween 4, 5, and 6, which were direct sequels to Halloween 1 and 2, but then 7 was not. That said, well, this is only a direct sequel to 2, and then you had the Rob Zombie remake. Now you have the new movie that's only a direct sequel to 2. Like, Texas, they just announced another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that will be a direct sequel to the first film only you know like the other three that they had this is now the fourth time a texas chainsaw sequel has said well we're a direct sequel to the first movie only and none of the other sequels and you go ah let it go that has been literally every texas chainsaw massacre film after the second movie like three like three is a direct sequel to one next generation is a direct sequel to one that one that came out where get him cuz yeah. is a direct sequel to one like it's just it's getting so fucking old but but they won't let it die that's my point here peter at what point should just let it go i think uh rambo said it best in first blood let it go let it go <laughs> Okay, you, you might think we were just a couple of old guys yelling at the clouds because we don't like anything new. And Which is kind of true. It, right, but <laughs> and, and that's not unfair, but also look at our reasonings for it, and you'll see we have sound reasoning for why Picard and Discovery are not Star Trek, why the modern X-Files are not the X-Files, why these things don't need to exist, why Rambo Last Blood isn't a real Rambo movie. Things like that. I don't care if you love it. That is totally fine. You can love these things. I think you're wrong. And I would love to hear why you think I'm wrong. 
you can contact me at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Go to the website 1201beyond.com. Use the Nord code. Use the Adam and Eve code. If people want to yell at Peter, where would they contact him? Oh, well, the easiest place to contact me would be Twitter at Cinematica. You can also find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist. Also, of course, on YouTube, The Cinemasochist. Of course, also on 1201beyond.com. Dong Kong! Dong Kong! 1201beyond.com, where you'll find me, Radiodrome, and other fine programming, and of course on Patreon as well, at Zinematica, which you can also contact me and message me. Uh, We also have a Patreon, it really helps out. If if everyone who listened to this show donated $1 a month, I could actually do this for a living. But that's not how what's happening right now. So, guys, try to be a cut above, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.